Hey, welcome again. I'm Pastor Evan. If you weren't here at the beginning of the service, we're so thankful that you are here, whether it's your first time or a bunch of times, whether you have a church background or not, we are really thankful that you are here. We are continuing our series today in Galatians. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Uh, the, in your, the Bible's in the pews is on page 974, and I have been told by Third Reform that we can offer those Bibles to you, so if you don't have one, take that Bible with you. We will make sure we reimburse and re- uh, give money to Third Reformed if you take that Bible. We want you to have a Bible. One, we want you to make sure you're not, you realize, like, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, there's actually, you can check it out yourselves, but also so you can grow closer to God through your own personal reading of Scripture. After today, we're going to be in Galatians for about another four weeks, and then we'll enter Advent, which is kind of crazy to think about that we're like Christmas is, and Advent and Christmas are right around the corner. But in this series, we've been looking at one major theme, that the gospel of the crucified Jesus frees us in the Spirit to love God and love others. So we'll be calling this Galatians the freedom you're looking for. The freedom you are looking for to love God and love others is told to you in this book through the gospel of the crucified Jesus who frees us in the spirit to love God and love others. And so we looked at a number of themes related to that. And last week we talked about being sons of God. That you aren't a slave anymore to the elementary principles of the world. And when Paul was using that in chapter 4, verse 3, he's referring to the impulse that we often have that if I do blank, good things will happen to me. If I do this good thing, good things will then happen to me. We talked about how the gospel is different than that. That's a mentality of slavery. And Paul continues kind of a slave son mentality here, and he continues to talk about that in chapter 4, verse 8 through 20. But today I really want to focus on this idea of being known by God. The freedom you're looking for The freedom I'm looking for is found in the security of being known by God. And in order for us to be known by God, we have to move from being far from God to being close to God. And I want to talk about today, what does it mean to be far from God and be close to God? I'm going to ask you, which are you right now? Are you far from God or are you close to God? Which one is it? Because if freedom is truly found in being known by God, we need to do everything we can to be close to God. And so we look in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 11 again. And this is really where I want to focus on these four verses. Where Paul says, Formerly you did not know God. You were far from God. You were enslaved to those that are by nature not gods, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. What Paul is doing, what Paul has been doing is giving us this like theological treatise about justification, right? That Jesus makes me righteous in the eyes of God. That God is happy with me, not because of something that I have done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And he's also, then, then he transitions into talking about adoption. That Jesus makes it possible for me to be part of God's family, 
And then he starts to make this claim, though, that the Galatian Christians who have believed the gospel when Paul was with him, with them, are now moving far from God. They believed it. They believed in justification. They heard about adoption, and they sunk their teeth hard into that. But then as soon as Paul leaves, there's these agitators that start to work their way in, and they start telling the Galatian Christians that, yes, believe the gospel, absolutely, but you also need to obey the law of Moses. You also need to uphold the dietary restrictions. So no more bacon, and you need to circumcise your male, your male sons. If you want to be accepted by God. And we talked about that, right? Like, always be afraid of people who say, yes, believe the gospel, but you also have to do this thing. And that can be any number of things. It doesn't just have to be religious things. It could be any things. You, have, you believe the gospel, yes, but also vote for this person. You believe the gospel, yes, but you also have to be excited and active about this thing. And while those can be good things and valuable things and sometimes they can be the outworkings of the gospel, what ends up happening is we make those things the gospel. So instead of Jesus plus nothing equals everything, it's Jesus plus X, Y, and Z equals everything. And Paul says, why are you going backwards? Why would you do that to yourself? In chapter 3, he talks about how basically... They have gone to something, they thought they were going back to the original thing, but Paul says, no, no, in Abraham, Abraham believed and God counted it as righteousness. Abraham had faith. That was the original thing. The original thing was faith. And that the law of Moses was just a babysitter or a nanny or a guardian until Jesus came. And now that Jesus has come, we don't need to do that anymore. And Paul says, you know how I know you're far from God? Is by how you're treating me. So he says in verse 15, he says, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. And Paul says in verse 12, he says, I want to, you to become like me. I want you to believe that Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserved to die and rose again from the dead. So we can have everlasting life with God now and always. I want you to believe that. Is Paul saying, become like me. Believe the gospel. Because at one point, Paul said, I showed up in Galatia. And I didn't show up there on purpose. I actually stopped there. Verse 13 says, because of a bodily ailment. We don't know what happened with Paul. We don't know what he was experiencing. But for some reason, he ends up in Galatia, not on purpose, but Paul seeing the opportunity to preach the gospel, preaches the gospel to them. And despite his condition, they not only showed him hospitality, but they treated him like he was an angel or Jesus himself. That's what he says in verse 14. But you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And you weren't just hospitable towards me. You treated me like I was Jesus himself showing up. But now there's these people who've come in to your church and they start to flatter you. Verse 17 says they make much of you. They've told you that you can earn God's righteousness. And doesn't that make you feel good? Right? Like if I can do it, that makes me feel great. Like I can do something about this. That I can earn God's favor. 
that I can make God happy with me, and all I have to do is keep the law of Moses. That's it, and God will be happy with me. And Paul says, no, this righteousness has been earned for you. God isn't happy with you because of something you did. He's happy with you because of what Jesus did. And Paul says, I preach this to you. You would have gouged out your eyes for me. You showed me hospitality, treated me like Jesus. But now, for some reason, I've become your enemy. Why? Because I told you the truth? So he says in verse 16, and he says in verse 19, that I'm like a mother delivering a baby who wants the baby to be free. I'm going through that anguish again. I want you to be free. He says, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul wants them to be free in Christ. He wants them to experience this freedom, but he's in anguish as he waits for them to see themselves as sons and not slaves. He's perplexed by them, he says in verse 20. Verse 11 says, I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain because you were free in the gospel, but now you're making yourself slaves again, and I'm afraid I've wasted my time. Any of you have gone through this situation with your friends or any loved one when a loved one struggles with an addiction and you've done everything you can for them. You've shed blood, sweat, and tears for them, and maybe you've even given money for them and you paid for their rehab to help them be free from that addiction only to find them going back to the things that once enslaved them. You feel like you've wasted your time right? That person was free, but now they're being a slave again to the things that held them down. And you feel like Paul, you probably felt like Paul, like I labored over you in vain. I've done everything for you. That's exactly how Paul feels here. He says, you've gone backwards. You've gone back to being a slave. But what are they slaves to? What is, what is the thing they're enslaved to? What Paul says in verse 8, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who were by nature not gods. The simple term for that is they were into idolatry. But idolatry enslaves us, and what idolatry does is enslaves us and keeps us far from God. Now, the Romans, in the Roman Empire, they had about 12 gods and goddesses. You may be familiar with some of them, like Jupiter, right? It's it's not just a planet, but also was a Roman god. And each god oversaw a certain area of a Roman citizen's life. So what you would do is you would dedicate time and prayer and sacrifice to this particular god because you needed a particular thing from them. So, for instance, if you wanted a child, you pray to the goddess of women and fertility, Juno. It's not just a fun movie. It actually was a god that they prayed to and asked for. I couldn't have a child, so I asked Juno for a child. Or if you needed a good harvest, you would pray to the goddess of agriculture, Ceres. Or if you're a tradesman, you're making a trip, you'd pray to the god of travelers and tradesmen, right? Who's Mercury? 
And ultimately, your success was linked to making sure those gods and you were good. Your success was linked to you doing the right things and hoping that that God would respond by taking care of you. But the fact of the matter is these gods, what Roman mythology shows us, were very fickle. They often would fight. They would compete with each other. They were jealous of each other. And you wanted those gods, you wanted to be on those gods' good side. Right? Because they're constantly fighting and they're jealous of each other and competing. I got to make sure I'm doing everything right so that God is on my side. And Paul, being a good Jew, realizes that there's only one God. It's only one God. And these gods the Romans worshipped were not gods at all. And Paul says that before they heard and believed the gospel, the Galatians were enslaved to idols, these not gods. And that kept them far from the true God. And that changed because of the gospel. And they were living this way for a while. right? They, they were no longer idol worshippers. They were no longer asking Mercury to bless their trips. They were no, ask, no longer asking Juno to give them children. And they were living in the freedom of the gospel for a while, but then, Paul says, they're turning back again to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. As I said in verse 3 of chapter 4, when Paul uses this term, he's talking about that impulse, that religious impulse, that if I do good things, good things will happen to me. But here, Paul is referring to idolatry. But this isn't the idol that you might think of. It's not the idol I might think of. It isn't one of the Roman gods. He's saying, the Galatians, you have made an idol out of the law of Moses. So you might think when Paul is talking about idolatry, that he's going to talk about, hey, why did you go back to praying to Juno? Why did you go back to praying to Ceres? Why did you go back to praying for Merc- to Mercury? He says, no, you've gone back to idolatry, but not this time, not paganism, but legalism. You have made yourselves slaves to legalism. You have believed that you can earn God's love, that you can earn his happiness, that you can earn his favor by doing something rather than leaning on what Jesus has done for you. And Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 that when the pagans worshiped idols, they were in fact worshiping demons. And so when we worship anything other than the true God revealed to us in Jesus, we worship demonic powers. And so, like I said, what's interesting about what Paul does here, he doesn't say that the Galatian Christians have fallen into the idolatry of licentiousness, which is this idea like you can live however you want. But legalism, that if I live a certain way, God will be happy with me. And Tim Keller, as, we've, as, as I've quoted him many times, but he points out that legalism is actually more dangerous than licentiousness. That legalism is actually more dangerous idol than licentiousness. Because the person who lives how they want, when they hear about God, they know they're far from God. But the person who lives a certain way and thinks that God will be happy with them and they can earn God's favor is far from God, but doesn't think they are. They're far from God, but they don't know it. 
And Paul says in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. See, the early Christians, including Paul, had important dates on the calendar. They always did. They had a church calendar. They met on the Lord's Day. They observed Pentecost. They observed Easter. And Paul says in Romans 14, 5 through 6, that you're welcome to observe those days too. But as N.T. Wright says, that's something for individual Christians to decide on their own personal discipleship. So what he means here is not that you're bad if you observe Lent or you, you're bad if you observe Pentecost because Paul's observing Pentecost. He's observing Easter. He's going to church on Sunday. What seems to be the matter here is that Galatians are insisting on keeping the Jewish festivals. And at the point of those Jewish festivals, N.T. Wright says, was that they all looked forward to the great act of redemption which God would one day accomplish. See, the problem with the Galatian Christians is what they were doing in observing these festivals, these Jewish festivals, that all these festivals pointed to Jesus. So they're no longer necessary because Jesus came. So what Paul's saying, you observed Passover. You're observing Passover, even though your great Passover has been sacrificed for you. Why are you observing the festival of Passover when the Passover lamb has come? So the Galatians, they think that they're getting closer to God. They think they're close to God. But Paul says, no, no, no. Because of your legalism, you're actually far from him. You're enslaved to an idol. You just don't know it. And you might be here today and you're like, look, Ceres, Mercury, Jupiter, Juno, all, all these people, right? Like, uh, this is the 21st century. We don't believe in that stuff. Like, we don't believe in idols. Like, that's not a thing that we do. But idolatry is alive and well today. One author writes, Few modern men in the post-industrial societies acknowledge that they're idolaters. Yet idolatry is pervasive in every time and culture, no less than yesterday, no less in Washington than Gomorrah, no less among sophisticates than aborigines. And he says this, is there any difference between middle-class people idolizing their children and heathen venerating their ancestors? Is the present idolatrous fascination with science significantly distinguishable from the adoration of fire and thunder? All idols are imposters of God. Whatever you and I worship other than Jesus is an idol. And idolatry leads to slavery, not freedom. See, too often we think about idols as bad things, right? Sex, drugs, gods of travelers, goddesses of fertility, right? These things that either are antiquated or they're just bad. And those things are idols and they will lead to slavery for sure, absolutely. But Paul Tripp says this. He's a counselor in the Philadelphia area. And I want you to listen to this. He says, idolatry is not just being enslaved to bad things. Idolatry is when good things become ruling things. Then they become idolatrous things. Let me say that again. Idolatry is when good things become 
ruling things. See, the most dangerous idols are the ones you don't think are idols. The good things that you've made ruling things. What's the thing you're going to other than God for fulfillment? What's the God imposter present in your life? What can you not live without? What has moved from the center of your what has moved into the center of your life and has moved Jesus to the peripheral? What has taken over the throne of your heart and made God an accessory? That's what enslaves you. That's the thing that's keeping you far from God. That is your idol. If you want to be close to God, that is the thing that you need to give up. So what good things have become ruling things in your life? For instance, what about respect? For many of us, particularly men, respect is the good thing that's become the ruling thing in our lives. And we may realize that respect is given, not earned, right? That's what we talk about all the time. Respect is given, sorry, is, excuse me, yeah, is given, not earned. Sorry, isn't given, but is earned, excuse me. Right? We might know that, that we have to earn people's respect. But if respect is your idol, a good thing that's become a ruling thing, you'll do everything you can to get respect. And if it's earned, that means you have to work hard to get it from the people around you. So you do everything you can to earn their respect, but you find out that people are also incredibly fickle. So you can do everything you can to earn your kids' respect, but they might end up hating you anyway. You can do everything you can to earn the people you supervise. You can do everything you can to earn their respect, but they can ignore you and talk about you behind your back. You can do everything you can to earn your wife's respect, to serve her, to love her, to give her time, energy, and resources, but she's got to do her part too. And she might end up resenting you anyway. So what then? I guess, do you just keep trying harder? Keep trying harder, that's going to exhaust you. And then if you keep trying harder and you keep trying to gain, like earn respect and respect's not being given to you, what happens? You get angry. You get frustrated. You get bitter. And all because you're feeling left insecure. You're left feeling insecure and you don't know what else to do about it. Or what about money? Money's a good thing. At least I like to believe so. But it can become a ruling thing. So you do everything you do to get it. And you keep passing on opportunities to be generous because you're not quite there yet. Like you need to just have enough. When I get to this, then I'll finally give the church. When I get to this income, then I'll finally... Be generous with the guy in the street who's been asking me for money every time I pass them at Wawa. But truthfully, you don't really have a goal in mind. You don't really know when enough is enough. You assume that one day you'll get there, but money is incredibly unstable. You'll lose your, if you lose your job, 
or there's an economic downturn, or I don't know if you guys have heard about this, but pandemics happen, and you never feel like you've had enough, and you're left feeling insecure. Like, do you think Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk think they have enough? Or do they just keep running after more and more money with no end in sight? And what motivates them is insecurity. They're insecure. They're looking for security, but they can't find it. But they, so they keep going searching for it and keep trying harder and harder and harder. And good things have become ruling things in their life. What is that for you? Is it your kids? Amanda and I were joking this, this week that it's our kids' world and we just live in it. Like we're running around place to place like chickens with our heads cut off to their practices and their schedules and their activities. And we're, they're all good things, right? But they, become, they can become ruling things. Even my kids, like I hope kids are good things. Like I, I got four of them. But they can become ruling things, right? Where I never feel like I can say no to them. And because I can't say no to them, I can't say no to their soccer coach who expects them to be there on Sunday morning for soccer. So who's ruling my life? It's a good thing that's become a ruling thing. What about work? Like, when is enough work enough work? Like, when are you actually done, right? That the pandemic has kind of taught us is that there's always work to be done, right? If everybody's working remotely, you can always do more work. So most of us, it's not like we're like, all right, I hit 40 hours this week, I'm done. It's like just one more email, and then I'll be able to settle down. But what about mom and dad's approval? Or your boss's approval? It's a good thing. It could become a ruling thing like that. Or your spouse. A good thing, but they can become a ruling thing. What about being an active person? Got a lot of stuff happening, you're active, you keep healthy. Good things can become ruling things. Or being flexible, like I'm the most flexible guy everybody knows. But that can become a ruling thing too. See, the problem with these things is they're incredibly unstable gods. They're all good things, but they become ruling things, which will end up leading me to more insecurity, not security. So there always will be more work to be done. Mom and dad's approval will always be out of reach. And my spouse may never love me the way I feel like I should be loved. And so these good things become ruling things and they become the things that motivate us. And this thing that motivates me leaves me with a constant feeling of insecurity because it's just not enough. I just got to do a little bit more. Just got to work a little bit harder. Just need a little bit more money. But there's one thing that can give us the security we're looking for. So Paul says in verse 9 about being close to God. It's, but now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, Jesus frees us and makes us known by God. Paul says they've come to know God. But then he says, actually, what's better and more accurate is for me to say, you're known by God. See, isn't there a difference between knowing someone and being known by someone? 
Like, I can know my wife. I can do everything I can to love her, respect her, care for her, but to be known by my wife is so life-giving and exhilarating. It's hard to put into words. There's a difference between being, knowing God and being known by God. One of my sons this week said, Dad, I'm afraid that I'm not a Christian. And I said, son, you're known by God. Your feelings will go up and down. Sometimes you'll feel like you're close to God. Sometimes you'll feel far from him but you're known by him. He doesn't forget you. He remembers you. See, it's more than intellectual awareness. It's this deep, personal, intimate relationship. So what Tim Keller says, he says, what makes a person a Christian is not so much your knowing God, but his knowing of you. To know in the Bible means more than intellectual awareness. To know someone is to enter into a personal relationship with him or her. So then Paul says, it's not so much your regard and love for God, but rather his regard and love for you that really makes you a Christian. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.3 that anyone who loves God does so because God knows them. That is, he has set his love on us in Jesus. Our knowing of God will rise and fall depending on many things, but God's knowing of us is absolutely fixed and solid. See, what happened with the Galatian Christians is that in many ways, they're trying to get God's attention. Paul says, but God already knows you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. So why are you trying to get his attention by following the law that's already been fulfilled in Jesus? And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here today and you put your faith and trust in him, God is the one who initiated that relationship, not you. And isn't that more, isn't that more comforting? That despite how you feel, despite you feel his presence or you don't, despite your quiet time was off the charts good or was absolutely terrible, despite you got something out of church today or you didn't, God knows you. And because you love God and you have the faith just the size of a mustard seed, God has put that into your heart and he knows you. Because God sent his son Jesus to die for you and made you alive. You, as Paul talks about elsewhere, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were like Lazarus in the tomb until Jesus called you out. You were like blindfolded people walking into the fires of hell until Jesus came and pulled the blindfold off of you. And you're saying, I can feel the warmth, like I must be going to the beach. And Jesus shows up and he pulls the blindfold and says, no, you're walking right into the fires of hell. Jesus did that for you because you're known by God. Because you're a son of God and has the Holy Spirit in your heart, you cry out, Abba, Father. And if you're known by God, why are you going backwards to idolatry? And as your pastor, and I'm only talking about people who call liberty their home, I'm perplexed by you. I'm perplexed that you go back to idolatry when you're known 
by God. And I'm perplexed about it in my own life. Because there's this great doctrine of assurance that theologians have talked about, that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that you know that you're secure in the Father. And that security frees you from falling to things that will create insecurity in your life. Kids' love goes up and down. Their coaches play them and they don't. They're happy with you and they're not. Work comes and it goes. Respect is given and sometimes it's not. Money comes in, spl- in plenty and scarcity. And these things are all insecure. They ebb and they flow and they go up and they go down. But when those things happen, when life is making me feel so insecure, I can remind myself that God's love for me hasn't changed. It's constant. It's fixed. It's solid. He knows me. Despite how your week goes and despite the suffering that you experience, despite the abuse and the hurt, God knows you. Despite how stressful work has been, God knows you. Despite everybody abandoning you, God knows you. Why? Because of something you did? No. Because of something Jesus did for you. And when I understand that, and that I'm secure in that, I won't run after these things that make me insecure. And I'll remove all the good things that become ruling things and I'll start moving closer and closer to God because he knows me. And when I have this assurance, it's not just that you know God or I know God, but that he knows us. Because of this, you'll have the courage to actually stop making good things, ruling things in your life. And you'll begin to move closer to God. So before I pray for you, let me just ask you, what's keeping you far from God? What's the good thing that's become a ruling thing in your life? For some of you, you know what that thing is. And you need to pluck it out of your life now. Some of you have a whole laundry list of things. You need to pick one and start making some changes now. But don't change because you thought it was a good idea and change because God knows you and you're grateful for that. Do you need to make Sundays more of a priority? Do you need more Sabbath rest? Do you need to start setting limits on your kids' activities? Do you need to give God your first and your best and trust him to come up with the rest? What is that thing? That good thing that's become a ruling thing in your life? And where do you need to be reminded that his love for you, despite the times you run after those things, those good things that become ruling things, that his love for you, God's love for you is solid, fixed, and secure, and it never changes. And when we start to realize that, we start to see that the freedom we're looking for is in the security of being known by God. So let me pray for you and we'll continue our service. Heavenly Father, 
I pray for those who are here today, including myself. But I pray today, particularly right now, for those who don't realize the love you have for them, that don't know you, but better, don't realize that they are known by you. I pray today you would open their eyes, that Jesus would take off the blindfolds, and they'd be drawn to you. And for those of us who know that we're known by you, but keep running after good things that end up becoming ruling things in our lives, I pray that you would reveal the ways for us to pluck those things out of our lives, to start setting limits, to start moving towards the rest that you promise. And we thank you for the freedom that we have in Jesus. And we pray that we'd be secure in your love for us because of what he did, not what we did, but because of what he did for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.